Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, officials are suspending the license of a Greenville teacher caught on videotape, dragging a student by the hair. Then, thoughts on a Donald Trump presidency from former Mississippi Senator Trent Lott. On a substantive basis, I would urge him to continue to pick really good, strong, qualified people for his cabinet, meet with them regularly, give them direct orders, and fire them if they don't perform. But I'd like for him to consider going back to uh, being a a, a strong cabinet president, uh, the way Lincoln was. Later, as the temperatures drop, the danger of house fires goes up in the state. And a Mississippi artist celebrates blues legends in a unique way in our book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State education officials are suspending the license of a Greenville teacher caught on videotape physically mistreating a special needs student. Linda Winters-Johnson was fired from the Greenville School District in October after the video surfaced in October. It showed her dragging a special needs student across the gym floor by the hair. During a hearing yesterday, the state licensure commission barred her from teaching in the state for 12 years. In a statement she read to officials at the hearing, Winters-Johnson says she regrets her actions. I am here today not to defend my actions as recorded on the video that has been viewed by so many. These actions I cannot condone nor uphold as they are a horrible depiction of a serious error in judgment on my part. What I can do is explain what occurred prior to the edited incomplete video clips, supply missing actions and narrative that provide accurate and factual context that make clear, describe, and reveal exactly what happened on September 21, 2016. This is not an attempt to place blame or avoid responsibility. I accept responsibility for my actions. At this time, I would like to offer my deepest apology for those actions that impacted student one and her family. I am truly ashamed of those actions that were wrong and offensive. It is with deep sadness and deep regret that my actions can and have undone my reputation and any good works during my teaching career spanning 20 plus years. I know what lies ahead involves prayer and action on my part to receive redemption. I am an imperfect human who has made a grave mistake. I can only ask that this person who has already forgiven me can light the way for others to extend the same mercy extended us all from a loving creator and judge. 
With that thought in mind, I am willing to submit to the authority of this hearing commission. Former Greenville school teacher Linda Winters Johnson at a hearing yesterday where she was suspended from teaching for 12 years. Paula Vanderford is with the State Department of Education. She tells MPB's Paul Boger Winters Johnson can ask to have her license reinstated after the 12-year suspension is complete. If the decision um, of the subcommittee would have been to revoke the educator's license for a period of 12 years, that means that after the educator, uh, 50% of the time had passed, so six years, the educator could come back and petition a subcommittee of the licensure commission and ask to have her license reinstated. However, um, since the um, decision was a 12-year suspension, that means the educator has no license for 12 years. After the 12-year suspension, the educator will be eligible to come back and petition the licensure commission for a reinstatement. So either way, with the suspension or a revocation, the educator has to petition a subcommittee of the licensure commission, but the difference is the time frame in which the educator is allowed to do so. She will not be eligible to hold a license in the state of Mississippi or any other state for a period of 12 years. Was there also a question on whether she was officially fired from the district? Yes, that has been confusing throughout the investigation as well. I'm no more clear today after the testimony than I was prior to the testimony. The local school board would have approved either the termination or the resignation. It's a school board approval either way. Tell me a little bit about the seriousness of these of these accusations. Well, as you know from the very beginning, um, these allegations have been very serious in nature with the department. And so I will have to say that um, staff um, in the Office of Educator Misconduct has worked tirelessly um, since the videos emerged on Facebook, as well as our uh, representatives from the Attorney General's office, particularly um, Raina Lee and um, Joseph Runnels, who um, are prosecutors for the Office of Educator Misconduct. Is there concern that instances like this happen across the state and maybe don't get reported more often? To answer the question, yes, there is a concern um, within the agency and the um, Office of Educator Misconduct that incidents such, maybe not of this nature, but that standard four violations do go unreported to the, to the MDE. MPB's Paul Boger with Paula Vanderford of the State Department of Education on the suspension of Linda Winters-Johnson's teaching license for 12 years. Winters-Johnson was disciplined following the appearance of a videotape showing her pulling a special needs student from Greenville by the hair. Up next, thoughts on the Donald Trump presidency from former Mississippi Senator Trent Lott. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The election is over and the nation has selected a new president and with it, a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast. Listen every day. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As President-elect Donald Trump continues to build his cabinet, Mississippians and other Americans are wondering what leadership will look like in his presidency. Senator Trent Lott represented the state for more than 17 years in the Senate and was majority leader and minority leader for many of those years. He retired from the Senate in 2007 and currently works at the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington, D.C. We asked him what he was looking for from the Donald Trump presidency. Lott says the president-elect will find 
mind he needs the help of Congress for much of what he wants to get done. He's not going to get everything he wants the way he wants it. The Senate will say, wait a minute, we got a, we got a thought on this. And a lot of what he wants to try to do is going to take congressional action. Now, let me ask you this, because he's, he'll be a Republican president. You have Republicans in control of the House and the Senate. How might that affect Mississippians? Well, I think it could be a positive. Obviously, we have uh, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee and Thad Cochran. And while you don't have earmarks like you used to, uh, he certainly has been a positive force and continuing to get, uh, you know, contracts uh, for the shipyard. Senator Wicker has moved up in seniority, uh, served for two years in the leadership, did a really good job uh, as the head of the Senatorial Campaign Committee. Uh, he's number two on the Commerce Committee. He's like number four on Armed Services. That's good. Greg Harper from the, the Jackson area and, and um, you know, East Mississippi uh, is going to be chairman of the House Administration Committee. It's not one that, uh, you know, that brings projects to the state, but it, that position really is kind of like mayor of the House of Representatives because he, he, he will be, oversee the buildings. A lot of the administration activities come under his jurisdiction. Uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, uh, Palazzo down on the coast now is on the, armed serv- on the Appropriations Committee, uh, which is a, an important role for us to have somebody on that committee in, in the House. And we've got the new uh, congressman from North Mississippi, Trent Kelly. Uh, we're trying to work with him to help him get on the Armed Services Committee uh, in the House because that's what his background is. And Armed Services is always important to, not only to America but Mississippi particularly. So I, I think it's going to be good. The one cautionary note that I would give to my Republican colleagues uh, in the administration and in the Congress, don't overplay your hand. You know, uh, the first two years of the Obama administration, he had the House and the Senate, and they went too far uh, with uh, how they, they wrote Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, which is not affordable, but also on uh, banking regulations, the so-called Dodd-Frank. They overplayed their hands, and it's had a negative effect on, on banking and the economy, uh, and now it's going to have to be reworked. So I would urge my, my former colleagues, yes, we need to do a number of these things, but be, be careful that it's done thoughtfully and and hopefully in a bipartisan way. Would you say that uh, would be particularly true of Obamacare? Because we hear that it will be repealed, it will be repealed, and yet there's also talk where you can't repeal it until you have a replacement for it. Yeah. Um, it, it's First of all, it's not going to be as easy as just saying, okay, uh, it's repealed and here's the replacement. It's It's got a lot of moving parts. You've still got 20 million people, I believe it is, that are dependent on it. It does need to be modified and improved and some new things added, uh, and it probably is going to have to be phased in. You're not going to be able to come in on day one and say, hey, you're out of here. You're, uh, this program is repealed. You're going to have to set up a repeal and a replacement and phase it in probably over a couple of years. You mentioned how our representatives in the state, our Republican representatives, uh, will fill in these powerful positions. Would Mississippi be in a bad way if Hillary Clinton had been elected? Well, uh, we wouldn't be in a good uh, way because number one, uh, we would not, we you know, we did not vote for her, um, and uh, you, you know, uh, she probably would take positions that uh, a lot of Mississippians, or I would think maybe a majority of Mississippians, would not agree with. Um, I, I don't think she is as far left or socialistic as she came across in the election because I think Bernie Sanders kind of drove her too far to the left. 
and some of the things she was talking about, like free college education. I mean, that, that's not going to happen. So it, it would have been uh, we'd have been in a, a more difficult position if she had been elected. Now, you know, when I was majority leader in the Senate, Bill Clinton was president, and uh, we worked together and we talked all the time, and uh, we passed bill after bill after bill that was important for the country. We passed a balanced budget, we cut taxes, we raised military pay, we passed safe drinking water, uh, we passed telecommunications reform. But here's my point. He is a, is a lot more pragmatic philosophically than Hillary is. I know them both very well. And she is much more of an ideologue than he was. I mean, we were able to make deals, uh, you know, which were beneficial to him as president and, and to me as majority leader and to the state of Mississippi. But I don't think that would have been her M.O. Now, maybe, she, maybe it would have been different, but that was not how she ran. Let me ask you finally, what words of advice would you have for President-elect Trump? <laughs> well, oh goodness, uh, on a substantive basis, I would urge him to continue to pick really good, strong, qualified people for his cabinet, meet with them regularly, give them direct orders, and fire them if they don't perform. But I'd like for him to consider going back to uh, being a, a, a strong cabinet president, uh, the way Lincoln was, and the way um, you know, and other uh, Reagan was that way. The second thing is, uh, I would urge him, Mr. President, communicate directly with the leaders of Congress. You need them; they need you. Uh, that's one of the problems we've had in Washington in the last several years. President Obama did not like dealing with the Congress, and they didn't like dealing with him. And as a result, you got nothing done. So he needs to reach out, have a strong congressional relations operation, have a strong cabinet, make use of them, and then. Two things, sort of frivolously, I would say, Mr. President, uh, stop tweeting, and by the way, get a better haircut. <laughs> oh, you're, you're you're trudging in delicate territory there with that one, I think. <laughs> Trent Lott is Senior Fellow at Bipartisan Policy Center, former Senate Majority Leader, and of course, former U.S. Senator from Mississippi. Senator Lott, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Up next, as the temperatures drop, the danger of house fires goes up in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. During the campaign, President-elect Donald Trump promised to build a wall along the Mexican border and to deport undocumented immigrants who are already here. You're going to have a deportation force, and you're going to do it humanely. We'll talk with an immigration lawyer about the calls he's getting as Trump prepares to take office. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MBB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Temperatures across much of Mississippi are expected to dip below freezing tonight, which will cause many to heat their homes for the first time this fall. Fire officials are warning citizens to be careful when using their home furnaces or space heaters. Tammy Peavy is with the state fire marshal's office. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby, Mississippi leads the nation in fire fatalities, and most fire deaths happen during winter months. For Mississippi, we have the highest fire death rate in the nation, and our um, the most fire deaths happen during winter months. 
we need to be very careful when we heat our homes. Um, heating is the main cause of those fire fatalities. So make sure that any type of heater is at least three feet away from anything that can be that can catch on fire. Space heaters need to be unplugged before you go to bed or before you leave home. Um, never plug space heaters into an extension cord, not even a surge protector. Those need to be plugged directly into the wall. And never use them if they have any kind of frayed or um, broken cords. Why do you think Mississippi leads the nation in this category? Um, it's several factors. We um, are very, have a lot of poverty, a lot of smokers. We have very mild winters, so we don't frequently heat our homes like people in the north do. They do it all the time. They know what they're doing. So in the south, we don't use our heating equipment as frequently, so we don't properly clean it like it should be. We don't maintain it as well. And so it just a lot of times it's mechanical failure because of disrepair or um, it hasn't been properly cleaned. So the buildup of the creosote in the chimney or dust in our central heat and air unit, uh, things like that. We put things too close to our fireplaces or our wood-burning stoves or our space heaters, and they get too hot and then catch on fire. Have we had a um, fire death with this being the cause uh, so far this year? Um, not this winter yet. I don't think so, but I, I can tell you we have had 48 fire fatalities this year and, um, that's about on track for where we historically in the last five years have been about this time of the year. And we've been averaging about 63 fatalities a year since 2012. So these are the very important months coming up to make sure that we properly heat our homes very safely to avoid those fire fatalities. And it's especially it's tragic any time of the year, but especially around the holidays, we, we don't want those tragedies uh, in the family so close to the holidays. MPB's Mark Rigsby with Tammy Peavy of the State Fire Marshal's Office on the importance of fire safety while heating your home. Up next, a Mississippi artist celebrates blues legends in a unique way in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. For almost 30 years, artist H.C. Porter has painted moving portraits of her neighbors and other Mississippians. In 2010, she started using her talents to capture the spirit of the state's blues musicians. In her new book, Blues at Home, Mississippi's Living Blues Legends, Porter presents these bold portraits. The results bring the musicians to life like never before. In today's book club, Porter tells us it was important to pick the musicians who were most influential. This project came together in 2010. We found that there were 97 living Mississippi-born blues artists considered professional working artists, musicians. And we worked with blues scholar Scott Beretta and the Mississippi Blues Commission to help us point and narrow down the focus of the project. So the 31 musicians, some you'll recognize, some you won't, because we went for the people who were influential and not necessarily well-known. And a few of them have passed away since exactly. the project lost, started. Yep, we've lost five of those individuals. Of course, they're still represented, and it's still called Mississippi's Living Blues Legends. And actually, Elsie Ulmer is the piece that's featured on the front cover, and he has passed. But in the book we used, I included my black and white photographs for the first time, 
and my paintings. So you'll see the images that were collected that I, when I documented that person. And next to that, you'll see a positive image with a screen over it. The living guys have a sort of a blue, intense color screen, and then the guys that have passed have a black screen with their birth date and their deceased date. I think it's fascinating for you to have the photograph and then the painting of the photograph. Or is it a painting on the photograph? How do you describe that? Well, they're mixed-media original paintings. That's the end result that people live with and know as my work. These brightly colored, hand-painted, original silkscreen. So it's a photo silkscreen, much the same way you saw Andy Warhol bring silkscreen into the art world in the 60s. Just the high contrast of Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley. This is my interpretation of Mississippi images, our everyday place, what surrounds us. I've always documented Mississippi. You'll see that high contrast silkscreen image under each painting, acrylic, Prismacolor pencil, lots of layers of texture and paint that people are familiar with in my work. But then collectors have always loved, or viewers have always loved, seeing the photograph and the painting. Are the colors any similarity between the colors of the photograph? Because we don't know because they're in black and white. Exactly. So I just bring my personal color back into the images. And I've always done that. People have said through the years, your work potentially could be a little stark. Some of the images that I portray in Mississippi, but when I bring my color to it, people said, but it brings it hope and life, and you really understand the state in a different way. And that's always been my goal and my hope for my work. The settings of the photos are wonderful, and uh, they're a character of their own, really. Yeah, well, it's called Blues at Home. So they're not performance shots. They're not, you know, in front of a blues stage somewhere at a big festival. We contacted each musician, said we'd like you to consider being part of this project. They were paid. You're considered one of Mississippi's living blues legends, and we want to feature you either at home or someplace significant in your career if they no longer live in the state, someplace that was important to them or really has a sense of place about Mississippi. It was exciting to get to enter each home and each world, to get to know these uh, men and women on a different level, and to be able to present that to an audience. And the book also includes uh, oral histories. Exactly. I had a collaborator, Lachlan Fields, who ran my gallery and is the editor for the SIP magazine, came in with me, and she did all the oral histories and edited and wrote all the context that's in the book. So each person is presented with a bio, and then they have a quote that we used from them as well. What happens to these pieces of work now? Would they stay with a collection? That's a great question. Each piece was pre-sponsored, so they were owned by individual collectors, and I'm proud to say even before they even existed, I reached out and said, this is a project I want to do, and as uh, collectors said, yes, I would like to sponsor one, when I got the images together, so there's 31, the first person who was involved in the um, uh, sponsorship, got 24 hours to go online and pick the piece that would ultimately belong in his collection. The second person got 24 hours to go in and look at 30, and it went down the line from there. We'd love to see them all come back together again if we get an important call to pull it together. It'd be fun. I'd like to see it come back home to the Mississippi Museum of Art, or uh, we've been in contact with the National Portrait Gallery in D.C. 
Blues at Home, Mississippi's Living Blues Legends. We've been speaking with the photographer, the artist. What other title do you have? <laughs> uh, well, I'm definitely a painter and a gallery owner and just an in-general wanderer, I think. <laughs> Most people know me, but... All things, all those things. H.C. Porter, thank you very much for being with us. Best of luck with the book. Thank you, Karen. And H.C. Porter will be at Lemuria Books in Jackson this Saturday afternoon. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Old Capitol Museum Statehood Day, Friday, December 9th. Details at oldcapitalmuseum.com or at 601-576-6920. It's Marketplace Tech for December.